Julia Batalis. And I'm Gabe Peterson. And you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Hello and welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am your host, Gabe Peterson, and I am joined in studio with uh, J.D. Layton. How are you doing? I'm great. National News Correspondent. It's sorry. true. I, I have a title. Said that. It's I'm there sorry. somewhere. We're joined in studio with Raven Color, one of our, what is it? Local and community Local and community correspondent. Dude, it's exactly. The, yeah. It's a lot of C's. It's I can't the triple get it going. C threat. Triple C <laughs> threat. And we also are joined in studio with Jensen Woods, uh, the external relations and public relations coordinator for the LSC. How you doing, Jensen? Very well. How are you? I'm doing good. Well, it's good to be back after break. Kind of took a week-long hiatus, but we have a great show for you guys today. We're going to do our local news, and we're, talk- we're going to talk about the gun bill that was shot down yesterday, as well as the mayor's sexual harassment case. We'll have sports with Bjorn Larson. Then we'll jump into national and global news and kind of talk about Facebook, Trump, and Mueller. Uh, what else, J.D.? What'd you uh, write about? The additional Maryland shooting and yep. the uh, Texas bombings. Yep. But that's later on in the show. First of all, we're going to start our show off with the interview with Jensen. How are you doing, Jensen? I know I already asked you that, but... <laughs> I'm doing well. Good, good. Um, so we're going to talk today about the TEDx CSU event. Um, now, are you in charge of coordinating that event, or do you kind of have a whole team that you guys put together? We have a whole committee that put together all of TEDx CSU, but I kind of oversee the committee. When when was the first time CSU held a TEDx talk, and like how did how did that come about? Yeah, so TEDx CSU actually started with a committee of students, and it was actually a student organization. It was a club, um, and. Let's see, this is the sixth TEDx CSU, so that would have been, what, 2012? Yeah, that sounds um, about right. Yeah, so, yeah, 2012, and it was a group of students who just wanted to have some TEDx talks at CSU, and so they came together and got some advisors and uh, formed this whole organization to do this. And then over the years, um, it's kind of, the powers have kind of transferred um, into different organizations, and um, the TEDx CSU committee obviously has shifted around with different students as people graduate and move on and everything. Um, but one of our largest sponsors is Ram Events, and that's how I got involved because uh, I work for Ram Events. So every year do you guys have a theme for the show? Because this year's theme is what if. Um, can you kind of just tell us like what that entails, what kind of presentations and speeches we're going to see at this event? Yeah, we haven't always had a theme. Um, that's something that we really wanted to make sure we had this year because some – TED Talks and some TEDx uh, shows do have a theme, and we thought that that would make ours really stand out and really special. So we chose What If because we thought that it was really broad, and we really chose our speakers based off of that theme in the application process. Um, one example is we have someone speaking on artificial intelligence, and so his What If relation to that is um, what if art- artificial intelligence could really like take over the world, which is a lot of people's fears. Wow. Um, but his talk is more focused on how that can't really happen so he's kind of taking the what if and reversing it so you just kind of talked about the application process how do you like how do you get the speakers do they apply to you do you kind of reach out to them how does that process work we kind of do both so we really try to see what's happening around campus and what um, students are interested in we do a lot of market research at the beginning of the year when we start the application process to see what students would like to see in a TEDx talk um, and then we go through the application process and if there's anything um, from our market research that we know is happening on campus already then we might reach out to that person that we can find um, but most of the time we pick people through our application process which is 
uh, written application and then um, an in-person interview. So kind of just going back to what you said with like the market research, certain things happen on campus um, with just like, you know, the, uh, the increasing number of bias motivated incidents with flyers and all that. Have you reached out to certain people to maybe come on campus and maybe start a critical discussion on maybe diversity and racism and all that? Um, yeah, kind of. We actually, one of our speakers, Alexis Kondo Olmsted, who works um, in advancement at the university, we reached out to her because she's talking specifically about women in leadership, which we know um, is something that is not seen very often. Um, so we did reach out to her because we saw a lot of people wanting um, more talks around diversity and more social justice. Um, and we did reach out to other people, too, to talk more about um, diversity and bias-related incidents, but it also happens that a lot of the people who know a lot of that stuff um, have been really busy this year on campus trying to work around those incidents. Yeah, I'm sure. So if I were to buy a ticket to this event, it's Sunday. If I were to buy a ticket to this event, do I only get to see one presenter, or am I allowed to stay there the entire day? Like, what what would it be if I bought a ticket? So if you bought a ticket, you would get admission to the event all day. Um, you would also get meals, lunch, snacks, all that. If you're of age, you also get some beer that's donated to us. Um, and you get to interact with every speaker. So we have nine speakers and... Um, we have three sessions that we break them out to and or break them out into and they go out or they go on throughout the day. So when you break up those sessions, do audience members get an opportunity to create dialogue with the presenters? Can they ask questions or is that what the breaks are for to where maybe you can ask a personal question to the presenter? Yeah, so that's what the intermission what the intermissions are for is we ask our speakers to um, gather at a table and kind of wait around to see if anyone does want to talk with them about their talks um, because the actual sessions when they speak is purely them giving their speech to the audience. But then we do want to have that one on one interaction if people want it during the intermissions. Are all these speakers from Colorado or are they from all across the nation? Um. You know, originally, I'm not sure where they're all from, but they're all affiliated with CSU in some way. So we have some community members who um, are involved. They might be involved with the university somehow, or they might just live in Fort Collins. We have some alumni as well. Um, we have an undergraduate student. We have a few graduate students. So they, you know, it's not as much about Colorado as it is the affiliation and connection to CSU. So I think CSU is like one of the only places in northern Colorado that has TED Talk events. I mean, is there other TED Talks around Colorado? And I mean, why is why is Fort Collins and CSU specifically chosen to kind of host this event? So really anyone can host a TEDxCSU event as long as you get a license from the TED organization. So this is just something that the TEDxCSU committee has chosen to continue every year um, because we see the ve the benefit in it and the value that it brings to students in the CSU community. Um, I know Front Range has done TEDx Front Range before, so it can happen anywhere, but we're proud that right now we are the only TEDx in Northern Colorado. You were just kind of talking about how it's a great thing for the campus. I mean, these critical debates and discussions, do you kind of wish that this event kind of goes on in the future here at CSU, especially since we have seen an uprising in certain different aspects that we Fort Collins isn't normally used to? Yeah, I definitely do. I think that we really try to diversify our event and have something that is interesting to everybody. But I think that um, we try to make our 
topics really um, something that can be controversial as well so that people can have those debates and have a meaningful discussion and not just have an idea that they disagree with and just walk away from that. So I really do hope it continues so we can continue meaningful discussions at CSU. Awesome. Well, last kind of statement question. Um, for anybody out there who's interested in going to this event, can they still buy tickets? And if so, where is this event going to be held? Yes, uh, you can still buy tickets. They're almost sold out, though. Um, you can buy tickets at the Campus Information and Box Office at uh, the Lori Student Center or at csutix.com. And the event will be on Sunday at the Lori Student Center. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to conclude the interview. Thank you so much, Jensen Woods. The external, sorry, I kind of lost your title here. The external uh, relations and public relations coordinator. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. We're going to take a quick break here at the Rocky Mountain Review, but when we come back, we're going to jump into our local and Fort Collins news. So stay tuned. message from the CSU Triathlon team. We are an on-campus club that welcomes students of all abilities. Whether you have been competing in triathlons your whole life, or if you don't even know how to swim, there is a place for you on our team. We compete in triathlons around Colorado, Las Vegas, Lake Havasu, and Tuscaloosa. Not only do we train and compete together, but we have all kinds of team building events such as team retreat, training camps, and team nights throughout the year. Check out our website at csutri.com and come join us for practice to experience what the CSU triathlon team is all about. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm your host, Gabe Peterson. I'm joined in studio with J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. Howdy, howdy. We're also joined in studio now with Bjorn Larson, our sports reporter. How's it going? And Raven Color, our local community correspondent. There you go. I know. There we go. Nailed it. But we are going to jump right into our local news segment now. And I believe that I actually have the first one. Yesterday, Republican state senators shot down a bill that would effectively ban all uses of bump stocks in Colorado. Senate Bill 51, proposed by Democratic senators in Colorado, was shot down by a vote of 3-2 to two by their Republican counterpart, counterparts, reports the Loveland Herald. Bump stocks are a device that allows semi-automatic rifles to be fired at a faster rate and were used by Stephen Paddock in the Las Vegas shooting that occurred back in October of 2017. Jesse Paul, the Denver Post, reports opponents of the bill questioned what impact banning bump stocks would have on preventing gun violence. 
saying that other rapid-fire modifications are possible and raised concerns about limiting the rights of gun owners with disabilities who use bump stocks to ease their ability to shoot. Senator Owen Hill, Republican of Colorado Springs, called the debate a question of government responsibility and freedom. The bill's proponents, including gun violence survivors, said that bump stocks are a dangerous tool whose only use is to inflict as much carnage as possible, reports Paul. I'm going to send it over to Bjorn now for the second story. Yeah. Last Tuesday, Denver City Attorney briefed Denver City Councilors and took questions regarding Mayor Michael Hancock's suggestive text messages that he sent to an officer on a security detail. According to the Denver Post, a discussion happened behind closed doors after the public had been ushered out at the end of an open portion of the weekly mayor council meeting. Twelve of the 13 city councilors attended the briefing and were requested to sign a non-disclosure agreement. The briefing came a day after Councilman Rafael Espinoza urged Hancock to initiate an outside investigation into the text messages in the 2012 firing of a mayoral aide. The mayor's office has brushed off Espinosa's suggestion, although the councilman wrote in his letter to the mayor on Monday that an independent probe could produce a full and accurate accounting to the public of what occurred. In the late Tuesday statement, the council says its members stand against sexual harassment of any kind and will seek to monitor legal claims against the city more closely. And now I believe we have a story about the governor. Yeah, thank you. I just want to quick say, I mean, it's just crazy how many people of power just kind of coming out of like sexual assault mm-hmm. cases. It's it's mind blowing. It's but crazy. You, to you me. know what they say about power, like absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Yeah, it's true. Here's an example. There you go. Anyways, moving on. Colorado businessman Noel Grinsberg has dropped out of the Democratic primary race for governor, according to the Coloradoan. Ginsburg cited a poor showing in the party's March 6th non-binding caucuses and cites that as the reason for his withdrawal. Former State Senator Mike Johnson has qualified for the primary and will be running against former State Treasurer Kerry Kennedy, U.S. Representative Jared Polis, and Lieutenant Governor Donna Lynn, all of whom are running as Democrats. Candidates can make the primary by getting at least 30% of delegate votes at the party's State Assembly on April 14th or by petitioning their way onto the ballot, as Johnston did, reports the Coloradoan. That's kind of interesting. I didn't know that, Raven. You did that uh, wonderful segment with Mike Johnson. I didn't know that he petitioned himself in. Yes. That's cool. Anyways, I think that is going to wrap up our local news. We're going to send it over to Bjorn for sports. Yeah, just a quick sports uh, update, but we'll start with some track and field. Mustafa Hassan is having another record-setting year. The track and field shot put star recently repeated as the NCAA indoor champion in the shot put event. On top of that, Hassan repeated as the Mountain West Indoor Track and Field Men's Student Athlete of the Year. Um, the, con- the conference announced Tuesday that Hassan earned the award for the tr- indoor track and field season for the second consecutive year. Hassan becomes the only third repeat winner of the men's indoor honor. A native of Cairo, Egypt, Hassan won his third consecutive Mountain West shot put title this season and stands as the only thrower in conference indoor track and, f- track and field history to earn the award multiple times. Hassan's performance at the NCAA championships also earned him his fifth career first team All-American honor. He is the only, the second Ram in program history to win multiple NCAA titles. CSU will start its outdoor track and field season on Saturday, March 24th at the Mines Nature Bakery Invite, hosted by the Colorado School of Mines. Colorado State Tennis flew to California to play two matches against the University of San Diego and UCSD for spring break play. In the middle of their winningest season since 2004, the Rams added another victory to their record against UCSD after a close loss to the University of San Diego. 
That's a very good team, Coach Jared Camarada said, referring to San Diego. We had a shot in the doubles, and then they are really good in singles. We have to be more patient in our rallies and step in the court and take away our opponent's time, end quote. The Rams will return home to battle against Creighton and Weber State March 24th through the 25th. That Thank wraps you. up your sports. Thank you, yeah. Bjorn. Um, what it, do you know how far that um, the track and field shot put guy threw? Uh, I know it was two feet. Um, he won it by two feet. I can't remember if it was 62 feet or yeah. 68 feet or something. But either way, anybody mm-hmm. who's out Lord. there who has ever thrown a shot put, that, 60 that feet. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah that's... The two-foot margin win is Oh, my God. Absolutely impressive. incredible. Congrats to him. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. That's going to end our local segment of news. And when we come back, after we take this quick break, we're going to jump into national and global. Only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Tribal Rights Custom Tattoo, Piercing, and Body Jewelry is a proud underwriting sponsor of 90.5 KCSU. Located at 628 South College Avenue, Tribal Rights is open noon to 10 p.m. Monday through Saturday and noon to 7 p.m. on Sundays. More information can be found at tribalrightstattoo.com. KCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their underwriting support. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Gabe Peterson. Uh, you're one of two co-hosts now because Julia Battelise, my co-host, just walked in. How are you doing, Julia? Hello. Sorry. I was doing other things because I had to do them. But she is. I, um, yes. Felt weird going home without uh, finishing the news show. So. Well, yeah, of course. We needed you on here. But anyways, <laughs> we have J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. Howdy, howdy. And Raven Color, our local community correspondent. That's me. Yep. I'm getting it right. Don't worry. Yep. We are going to send it over to J.D. for the first national story of the day. Sorry, my papers were out of order. (laughs) Killing it. Two Maryland students in Great Mills High School have been shot after another student opened fire on them early Tuesday morning, reports Eric Ortiz of NBC News. The shooter was immediately confronted by the school resources officer, St. Mary's County Sheriff's Deputy Blaine Gaskill, who in turn opened fire, injuring the gunman who later died in custody. The two students hit by the gunman are both receiving medical attention with the female student in critical care. The shooter has been identified as the 17-year-old Austin Rollins. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan thanked the officer for his brave actions, but stated that legislation in keeping dangerous people from firearms is essential to the solution, stating that we need more than prayers. We've got to take action. A senior in the school, Terrence Ramez, recounted his experience of the shooting, stating, I heard one shot, and when we ran, we saw a teacher, and he was looking at us with a confused look. 
We were trying to figure out if this was real. The White House has, in response to the shootings, proposed funding firearms trainings for school personnel to curb the threat. Hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't even I didn't even get a chance to read the story this morning, and then I heard about it like right when I got to class. I, I'm just I'm glad there weren't any fatalities other than the shooter, but even then, that still <clears throat> seems I, a bit too much. I believe one student's in critical condition right now. Though. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah we'll. Uh, We'll continue to update you guys on that soon. But anyways, we're going to send it over to Raven. All right. Is Facebook doing enough to protect its users? This has been a prevalent question since the 2016 election with revelations of Russia's involvement, but is now back in the spotlight after it has been revealed earlier this week that the third-party data firm Cambridge Analytica had received the information of 50 million Facebook users. This is troublesome because it is a violation of Facebook's policy to share user data without permission. Users were not informed that their information was being shared, and because Cambridge Analytica was hired by Donald Trump's political uh, campaign. Politicians all over the country are calling for Mark Zuckerberg to testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee for letting this happen, and the Office of Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Hiley is opening an investigation into Facebook as well as Cambridge Analytica, reports CNN Money. Cambridge Analytica used the data to create targeted political advertising, reports CBS. This is all coming to light after Christopher Wiley, 28-year-old former contributor for Cambridge Analytica, went on record with The Guardian's Carol Cadwaller in the latest issue of their Sunday edition, The Observer. He admits to helping come up with the idea of using the shared Facebook user data to create large targeted targeted advertisements on Facebook during the 2016 presidential election. Having been a key player for Cambridge Analytica, he now feels a responsibility to come out as a whistleblower and inform the public on the company's role in the 2016 election. In light of the recent news, Wiley has been uh, suspended from Facebook and the Social media companies' stock prices fell 7% yesterday, reports CNN Money. This resulted in a $5 billion uh, decrease in Zuckerberg's net worth. But interestingly enough, he has uh, already been about $5 million of, er, sorry, already sold about $5 million of his shares uh, in Facebook before Monday's sharp decline, according to MarketWatch. Thank you, Raven. So actually, that is going to be the subject of our roundtable discussion. Uh, just going to kind of talk about, you know, maybe the ethical issues and everything kind of going on, legal issues. If you guys want to get involved with that conversation at all uh, coming up, please call or text 970-491-5278. Again, that number is 970-491-KCSU. Uh, JD, I'm going to send it over to you for the next national story. Right. A series of package-based explosives have rocked Texas, with the most recent explosion detonating in a FedEx shipping center in Schertz, Texas, and was believed to be heading towards Austin, Texas, reports Eva Morovic of the Washington Post. The explosion marks the fifth package-based explosive to hit Texas over the course of March, but an additional explosive was located within the facility undetonated. This undetonated device, authorities say, offers key clues into who this bomber or maybe bombers are. One investigator stated that the undetonated device provides key clues as to who may be building these devices because the components used in the device can be tracked to a supplier or the very purchaser. Fortunately, the blast on Tuesday only caused one employee mild ear damage. However, the previous blast have left two dead and four others wounded. 
The bombings have followed two paths, one of individual targets where packages have been sent to specific addresses, and the more startling of the two, a tripwire bomb. The new bombs add an additional element to the explosives, as these seem to be intended to go off at random. President Trump has stated in response to the bombings that these are sick people and we will get to the bottom of it, and we will be very strong. We have all sorts of federal agencies over there right now. We are searching. Thank you, J.D. Uh, For our last national story, Raven, take it away. The White House has maintained its position that the president is not planning to fire special counsel Robert Mueller, reports Mary Claire Jelonsky, uh, Zeke Miller, and Chad Day of the Associated Press. After the firing of FBI Director Andrew McCabe on Friday, speculations about a potential firing of Mueller and the ending of the special investigation into Russian involvement and obstruction of justice in the 2016 Trump presidential campaign. Over the weekend, Trump named Mueller for the first time in tweets about the special counsel, calling it a, quote, total witch hunt with massive conflicts of interest. The White House lawyers and spokespeople say that the president is not discussing or considering fine Mueller. An anonymous source said that Trump's legal team has provided documents to the special counsel which state his view on some of the issues being investigated. Some Republicans in Congress have denounced a firing or denounced the firing of Mueller, including Orrin Hatch, chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, saying on Monday that firing Mueller would be, quote, the stupidest thing the president could do. Other members of the GOP have spoken out in the last few days, including Trey Gowdy, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, and Bob Corker, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. However, Republicans do not believe that passing legislation to protect Mueller is necessary. Texas Senator John Cornyn, the number two Republican in the Senate, said that legislation would be an unnecessary fight to pick, saying, quote, obviously legislation requires a presidential signature. But uh, Democrats and some Republicans believe that legislative action is important. Arizona Republican Jeff Flake said, if we don't pick this fight, then we might as well not be here. Thank you, Raven. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like all the time, I feel like there's just people constantly being fired. There's just this huge attrition rate within the White House. I can't feel like, but all it does is like stunt any type of initiative because if you don't follow... (laughs) like directly in line with yeah. party policy you might as well just quit and it's not like i feel like it's not just when the within like the uh the white house but i'm sure it permeates to other bodies mm-hmm. within the executive as well like within the military or any type of uh bureaucracy that falls yeah. under presidential yeah. command yeah it's terrifying crazy. um anyway that's going to wrap up our national and global news we are going to be coming back here in just a second with ra- our roundtable discussion on uh facebook so if you want to stay tuned um, or if you want to get involved after the break, make sure to remember that you can always call or text in 970-491-5278. Um, and yeah, stay tuned. You are listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
Hey, this is Brian from Weatherbox, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm your co-host, Gabe Peterson, joined in studio with my co-host, Julia Badalese. Hey, that's me. Hey, and J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. Howdy, howdy. And Raven Color, our local community correspondent. Yep. So, <laughs> for anybody listening before the break, we mentioned the Facebook breach story. That is actually the subject of our roundtable discussion. I guess the one thing that I would say that I'm kind of confused about this whole thing, Raven, because I know that you've been really researching this uh, topic, is that I know that Facebook, you know, they go through your ads and they kind of they sell your information to advertisers. How how is this any different from what that they they do on a daily basis? Sure. So. Um, basically how Facebook's advertising model works is they both through your interests and stuff you post about, but also, you know, where you're shopping online, whether or not you buy stuff, what your friends are looking at, um, places that you've been, they kind of use all that information to specifically pick advertisers for you. Um, but I think the big problem with this is that this company specifically was taking immense amounts of data user area user data that's the one data (laughs) user yeah who didn't know that their information was going towards a political campaign um and using it to advertise through that route and the big problem with facebook um that i was learning about this morning is that they're one of the worst companies in the world as um kind of transparency goes as to what options you have as a facebook user to keep your information from being shared with companies um and in some ways, the, what they did was against company policy, and they've had executives uh, kind of speak out against it and want to be more open about how um, data is being shared and what companies it's going towards. Um, and the big Facebook executives, Mark Zuckerberg and um, the COO, have really not wanted them to share and have wanted to kind of close off uh, information about how Facebook data is used uh, and kind of limit transparency for users. Well, it is kind of weird, and there is really no transparency because you can say, make my profile you know, private, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's not really private because you're having ev- everything looked at. That's why it's so scary. You know, like when we were kids, our parents would say, don't get on Facebook or MySpace or create your account because there's you know weird people out there who want to talk to you. And it's just weird that we put our birthdays, we put where we go to school, what we're majoring in, what we got our degree, where we work. Mm-hmm. You post pictures in front of your house to where your address is clearly shown. I mean, it's it really is crazy. And I don't think that we actually think about the kind of information we're putting out there. And even if we do think about it, we're still getting data mined and it's still mm-hmm. getting sold to people. Well, and the amount of information and how specific they can they can use your information, how much they're getting, um, has led to kind of this, you can call it a conspiracy theory, that um, Facebook is listening to you through your phone and then advertising to you based on what they hear you say. Um, and, of course, Facebook is claiming that that's not what's happening. They just have a really specific analyzation of your data. But it's like that much. I mean, we were talking about it before the show, how yeah. you were saying... You work uh, at Nordstrom's, and then yes. you were talking about Tiffany and Company. You go home, Tiffany and Company is the first thing you see. And I was telling you, I went to California for break, went to O'Neill Surf Shop. Next thing you know, O'Neill Surf Shop, and I don't, I've never surfed in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, pops <laughs> up, and it is scary. Maybe they are listening to you. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing that I thought was funny about that is, of course, like most people our age, I don't really use my Facebook page very much. So it's kind of mm. like, 
But I think it's it's just kind of an issue between executives in the company who want to be transparent and open about what's going on and executives who don't and how that information is being used. And I think it's interesting that such a major company that has a, so much impact in the daily lives um, of Americans uh, is kind of getting to act so uh, kind of autonomously with our information. Um, and I think people didn't realize how widely this was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just with um, Cambridge Analytica and how it was used in the election, people are kind of feeling iffy about that um, as it goes towards more political things than yeah, I mean, I think, advertising. I think one quick thing like that's important to note is that, I mean, this wasn't happening in 2016. This was mm-hmm. happening in 2014. And it was kind of preparing to see like what people were starting to get interested in. Were they like in Republican videos, Democratic videos, like what... What were they doing? So it is, you know, it was pre-election, and it is kind of weird to think that maybe they kind of started to base their ads off of these people like two years prior to when they were actually going to do the plan. So, I mean, J.D., what do you think of this whole thing? Well, on one hand, I know it's probably not a very popular opinion, but I think that demography-based advertising is ultimately good because if I like things and I get advertised more things I like, then I'm probably going to consume more of the stuff that I enjoy. But on the other hand, it seems a bit unethical to target, uh, especially given political views. It seems like an invasion of uh, your ability to sort of formulate your own political opinions, which I think is where a good majority of the problem stems from. Because it's like Facebook's not the only company that targets based off what you do. Like Amazon, God knows, I I looked at a Nerf gun for for like my (laughs) nephew, and now I consistently get advertisements for for Nerf guns. And I have no intention of buying Nerf guns ever again. (laughs) <laughs> but I consistently get these these things based off my my previous views, and it's not just Amazon or Facebook. Google does it too. There's an entire branch of Google dedicated to this Google Analytics. It's a very powerful engine. But the fact that they can sort of target you based off of like through these demographic variables, what you might actually be more politically inclined to, and this is stuff that a lot of people know and and have like proven through through research and demographic analysis, but sort of using the immense capacity that facebook has to like surgically insert these uh subjective things into you so you sort of you're you're seeing these videos that you may not necessarily like personally agree with or things like that in these advertisements but it sort of sows the seeds of not your own political ideas and that's something I, i don't really like i'd like to think that americans are pretty individualist in their capacity for developing things but stuff like this is just it's it's difficult to counter. I mean, what, what what do they do when they like try to you know data breach somebody who likes both sides of the videos? I mean, how do they even determine what they're into politically? I mean, can't you as the user kind of say like, oh yeah, like maybe Turning Point USA? Who's here's Charlie Kirk with a good point? Let's go see what the other side has to say. I mean, isn't it kind of isn't it on us a little bit to maybe stop believing just one certain video, one certain advertisement? Well, isn't it kind of the gullibility and the 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 dumbing down of society that we're all kind of falling for this? I wouldn't say it's necessarily like a, a dumbing down of society. We just seem to be very into the the polarization aspect. So typically, if you it's it's hard to find somebody who's like, oh yeah, I agree with both of these points, mm. because we seem to cater to people who share similar opinions, and that's why you sort of get this this breach, at least as far as I understand it. Raven, I, th- I thought you had something to say. Oh, well, you know, I think the part of the situation that is less concerning to me uh, than, you know, how exactly they use the data is Facebook's response to it. Yeah. Um, I was reading in the Times today that the head of their, like, data security branch. Like the information center. Yeah. Basically, he came out and he said, I think we should 
tell users how their data is being used and our uh, involvement with Russian interference during the election. And in response to that, Facebook eliminated his department and gave all his, his responsibilities to other departments. So he'll be departing in August. So I think the thing that's interesting about this is um, how entitled to keeping their business functions secret that are that involve all of, of our personal information. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Zuckerberg made a comment about how um, Russian inter- involvement was going on in Twitter as well, uh, but Twitter executives didn't really come out and say, hey, they were on Twitter. Uh, that was a problem. So people don't aren't like really mad at Twitter. But when Facebook came out and said, yeah, we think Russians were putting fake information on our site, um, Facebook got a lot of flack for that. And now they're really trying to keep everything secret. Uh, and I think as a company that has so much information on like everybody in the entire country um we should really be looking at how much transparency should be required from a company like this but isn't but i mean jd you might know this because you're more economically you know sound than i am or you know business savvy (laughs) but i mean can't facebook as like a free user experience kind of do whatever they want yeah can't they just say like no i don't have to disclose anything to you you're using my app for free so one of the things you do when you sign up for Facebook is you probably go through a large legal body nobody uh, reads that you don't read terms. and you pretty much <laughs> uh, you'd like you assume the risk that your data is going to be used by Facebook or some other entity as a part of Facebook's model. I mean, so you, you, getting into it, you could you should probably be on a like a consumer standpoint, be a little more picky with the way you choose it. But going back to the whole Russia thing, uh, the, the the conspiracy theorist in me has has read some things about Mark Zuckerberg and his supposed connections to high figures in within the Russian government and how they're sort of buddy buddy and how that might have influenced aspects which might also explain the hush hush not necessarily saying that this is true this is all very speculative but it would be just a little curious as to what y'all think about this especially given the fact that Russia's involved in so many high profile I mean the only incidents. I think the only way that that's possible is that they're giving him sums of money but what does he need money for he's a billionaire I mean I mean he went to Harvard maybe I mean, not he's, he's just from, sums I, of money you I know any billionaire who's like okay that's all the money I want no no no, no. okay but what I'm trying to say is like I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg grew up with some Russian guy his whole life who was like buddy buddy with him I mean it might have happened in the past few years but I mean I just don't I don't know I mean but Mark Zuckerberg is kind of a shady guy he stole a concept from whatever the twins were and he screwed it over his best friend he works 80 hours a week I mean he's a weird dude I mean I'll just say that but maybe I don't know I'm a huge conspiracy theorist a little bit but I don't know about that one I I don't know I think this one seems a bit more practical whether it be through oodles of money or sort of threats i feel like it's it's very applicable especially since i, I remember reading a comment somewhere from a uh, fbi analyst that uh facebook is now the largest intelligence agency in the world and this is a private enterprise so that's <laughs> that's kind of scary in and of itself yeah well i heard this morning i was listening to npr and they were talking about how they were talking with a company that or an organization who analyzes online companies and sees how easy it is for a user to um prevent their data from being shared with companies or limits it or whatever um that facebook is one of the worst ones in the world uh Oh, I was just saying that um, 
there's an organization that says that Facebook is one of the worst companies in the world as your ability to uh, be specific about what data is being shared, um, including Russian and Chinese companies. Yeah. So. We had a technical snafu. <laughs> there was some fumbling and some jumbling. I was trying yep. to answer a phone call. I apologize to anybody out there who called because I just, you know, didn't hit the right button. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I try. I tried to, to run oh, over no. and if I tried to run over and hit the right buttons, and then those buttons didn't work. Yeah. If anybody <laughs> wants to text in and get involved in this conversation again, the number is nine seven zero four nine one five two seven eight. I don't know. I just, I, I mean, like I asked you at the beginning, I just don't. I don't necessarily because I haven't read that much into it. It's just I just feel like it's just kind of what they do on a daily basis is just take information and sell it to certain people. Apparently, the way they did it with Cambridge Analytica was against their company policy. I'm not exactly sure how, um, is, but is, isn't the company policy make money? I mean, Which that's most companies' like policy. It, it wouldn't be I against think. company policy. I guess I'm not too particularly familiar with Facebook's business model. I know that. Mm social media aspects tend to get a little weird with the way they run their business. Um, still still sucks, though. Glad I don't use Facebook that much. And in all reality, if anybody wants to, like... Oh. You took us off air. Oh, hello. Oh, and we're back. There oh. we are. And we're back. We are still having... <laughs> oh, we'll figure it out one of yeah. these days. Um... Um, well, we are going to go to a really quick break here, but we'll be coming back here in just a second with um, our music segment done by our own Monty Daniels. She's one of our music directors here. Um, just talking about Modest Mouse, which is actually um, it's an anniversary of one of theirs today. So uh, stay tuned. You are listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on... And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Julia Battelise, one of two co-hosts here. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Peterson. Yellow. I'm also here with my national news correspondent, J.D. Layton. Howdy, howdy. You almost forgot my name there for a second. No, it definitely was going to be half J.D. and half Gabe. Uh, <laughs> I'm Jabe. <laughs> nice. No, it's more like a gay, gay I don't know. <laughs> Gade? I don't know. That sounds Gade. so edgy. That's such an, an edgy name. Yeah, I'm Gade. I skate. <laughs> what up, Thrasher? Um, and I'm in here with uh, our local uh, local and national... Sorry. Nope. 
No. Local, local community local... correspondent. <laughs> I got it, baby. Got Let's it. go. It's been hectic today, so I don't even know what's going on anymore. I should have probably just come home, but go home, but I uh, decided not to. So. That's all right. I wanted to get technically bamboozled. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. we're going to jump into our music segment done by Monty Daniels, our local music director. No. Nope. No. What is she? <laughs> She's our music director. We have She's so many music, music directors, directors, I don't even know. But anyways, Monty Daniels did a great piece about Modest Mouse, so um, enjoy. Yeah, and also it's my voice, but it was all her words, so... This yeah. is going to be weird. Go team. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is your Taking It Back Tuesday music segment, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins, written by Monty Daniel. Modest Mouse's fifth studio album, We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank, was released on March 20th, 2007, exactly 11 years ago from today. The album cover is one of the most recognizable symbols for the band, consisting of a hot air balloon with an anchor hanging from it. Frontman Isaac Brock explains that, quote, it represents stasis. The balloon will never go up or down. It's just a general feeling I have about everything. Every time we seem to cure or solve something, another problem pops up. Initially, it was supposed to be a concept album with a nautical theme, where according to Brock, quote, the boat crew faces death in every song, which is where the title of the album comes from. The whole record features guitarist Johnny Marr, who was previously a member of popular English rock band The Smiths. Former guitarist for the band Dan Gallucci was inspired by the Smiths on the band's biggest hit, Float On, off of their prior album, Good News for People Who Love Bad News. After Gallucci quit the band, Brock pursued the real deal and contacted Marr. Although his request was met with much hesitation, he agreed to join, and on their first day together, they created the most popular song on the album, Dashboard. Dashboard is described by Pitchfork as the Vegas version of Float On, and with its high energy and catchy lyrics, it's unmistakably Float On's twin, or even just its cousin. This album shows all the different sides of Brock, from the gaudy-sounding Dashboard, to the dark, scratchy sound of Fly Trapped in a Jar, and the sweet, sensitive ballad, Little Motel. We This song confronts heartache and the dichotomy between wanting so badly to be with someone, but also valuing alone time. In this song, Brock tries to dig up the good parts of the relationship and savor them for as long as he can before he must go back to solitude. He fights with himself about why he keeps going back to his lover and how their memories are better than the actual relationship will ever be. We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank is exactly what Modest Mouse needed after their previous album's success. They came back with a record full of their signature sound, not straying too far in order to impress others or to make it more radio-friendly. They stuck to who they are, and I think that's something everyone can admire. For the Rocky Mountain Review, I'm Julia Badalese.
And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. That was a segment done by Monty Daniels, our external music director, mm-hmm. voiced by my co-host, Julia Badalese. Yeah, she she was feeling sick and also was nowhere near a recording studio. So. <laughs> but you guys pieced it together and yeah. it sounded great. Um, I love Modest Mouse, so that is kind of cool that we did a little uh, anniversary. Yeah, they had like two in a row, like two albums that happened to be like going at the same, that were having like anniversaries at the same time so i thought that was a cool one and i know how much uh monty loves her she her adores mouse. modest mouse her show is literally well i guess it was modest it mouse and red hot chili peppers yeah it was like that so was, i think everybody knows who modest mouse is at least a little bit probably heard a song at least float on yeah at least float on like, like i was just essential part <laughs> yeah, of I'm, like the 2000s the only song i know yeah. anyways uh yeah that was our music segment we're gonna move on to weather now if anybody wants to know the weather of today, go outside. So I'm going to start with the weather tomorrow. <laughs> thank you for that astute statement right there. That thank, was not wrong. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, if anybody was here this weekend or around the Denver area, it got bombarded with snow. I can't believe how crazy the weather changes here because tomorrow it is going to be a high of 60 degrees with a little bit of wind around 9 miles per hour. Uh, no precipitation at all, though. And then moving on to Thursday, it's going to be a high of 70 so we go from a snowstorm to 70 degrees, but that's just Colorado, and I love pick, it. Pick a temperature. Yeah. Pick a temperature. Pick a, like, like a 10-degree range, I feel like. But at this point, if it snows, it just doesn't, it, it's not going to stick. It's just, you know. There's yeah. no way it's hanging around. Oh, there it was. <laughs> Off his mic. There it was. <laughs> doesn't deserve it. But yeah, if you guys want to hear the weather for the rest of the weekend, you're going to have to tune back into the Rocky Mountain Review on Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much to our reporters for coming on today, uh, Bjorn Larson. Um, we also had Jensen Woods in earlier for an interview. Um, thank you as well to um, Raven Color, our local and community correspondent, as well as our national news correspondent, J.D. Layton. Thank you, Julia. See, I got, I got you. <laughs> she didn't have to thank herself. Well, I just thought you were going to go in a line. Oh, just for do, sure. Like, clockwise. You, you just had to cut me off, though. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only way you were going to get to thank me. And uh, thank you to my, my co-host, Gabe Peterson. Um, we are back here on Thursday. Our The Rocky Mountain Review runs Tuesday and Thursday. Day, 4 to 5 p.m. Um, so make to make sure to tune back in then. Um, yeah, you are listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.